the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observation, and most importantly, my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice some related fields in my overall consumer and small business financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my primary reference point, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I spent the greater part of the nearly past 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat and I helped create one with my former spouse who was also in the military, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, airmen and women, sailors and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service as such. I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And I I love to talk about my grands, both my maternal and my paternal grand, who I got to spend some time with when I was a young woman. Uh, and uh, these women loved me and raised me. And because I know that they lived through the four great economic challenges of the last century, that is to say the Great Depression, the privations of World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through our society today, um, it is out of my great love and respect for these women who helped ma- raise me uh, partially in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, and they told me great stories of that adaptation and resilience and love of their grandparents who 
were born right at the crux of the Civil War, the end of the Civil War and the Reconstruction era. So I have a duty to, in my opinion, when I have the opportunity and I can legally and ethically help seniors and disabled folks, especially uh, women of color who need the assistance to help them fight what is a pernicious form of financial elder abuse that's running rampant in our society today. So, so that's just what I feel I have to give back to the community. So I love when I have an opportunity to whip the behind of somebody or some financial institution that's trying to take care or take advantage of seniors and disabled folks. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your and or your families and or your businesses, financial health, wealth and money related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening education form that I've been blessed uh, to have the uh, have access to. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall general outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help, I believe, when you have a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets and or your debt. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying I believe representing yourself in a legal matter is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. All of your adversaries at the gunfight will be represented by competent counsel. Well, maybe not so competent, but they'll be represented by someone with a bar uh, a, a license. And um, they will have real legal weapons arrayed against you. And there you're going to be with your little butter knife. And would you, if you take a butter knife to a gunfight, you'll be lucky if you can sneak up on them or get real close to your adversaries. You might be able to scratch them on the arm or even poke them in the eye with your butter knife. But more likely than not, you're going to be the one that's going to be dead on arrival. That is to say, your valid claims you have against your adversary and your valid defenses that might shield you from your adversary will likely see the promised land way before you do. So, as 2022 comes to its end, I have begun to see a uptick in the number of inquiries I'm starting to receive from individuals and small business owners seeking information about the possibility of filing for bankruptcy. I suspect that this has something to do with the fact that some of the governmental programs designed to help us stay in our homes or stay in our businesses or stay in our apartments and combat the negative economic consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic are coming to an end. So I thought we'd use the remaining few weeks in this year to begin a discussion I call Bankruptcy 101 by initially providing a 30,000 
the overview of what bankruptcy is and is not. And then in the subsequent weeks, dig a little bit deeper so we can be ready if we find that we need to file for bankruptcy in 2023. In sum, bankruptcy is a legal procedure, a legal process that can be used by individuals, families, large and small businesses, and governmental units of states, but not the states themselves, that have become insolvent. That is to say, these real or artificial people owe more money than the value of all of their assets and or they are unable to pay their debts as they become due. So bankruptcy slows down the debt collection process and may even allow a debtor to be released from some or all of her debts. However, bankruptcy can also be used by individuals, families, large and small businesses and governmental units who may be solvent on paper, that is to say, their assets are equal to or more than the value or the amount of their liabilities, but they may lack sufficient liquidity to pay their debts as they come due. In both cases of, you know, if you're a solvent debtor, you may seek the time in the bankruptcy process to allow you to gain the necessary liquidity by, for example, say, liquidating one or more of your illiquid assets and thereby be able to get back in good stead with your creditors. Now, regardless of what caused the financial distress or insolvency, as the case may be, bankruptcy law provides a remedy that is spelled out in the United States Constitution at Article 1, Section 8, which charges the United States Congress with putting in place and then from time to time amending or updating uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcy. And it's currently manifest by something called the United States Bankruptcy Code, which lists all the various clauses and procedures and processes and what the statutes say bankruptcy can and cannot do. And it's supplemented by uh, something called the Federal Rules of Bankruptcy Procedures, which are the rules and, and roadmaps, as it were. And the procedures are overseen by the Supreme Court along with the appropriate federal and state codes and case law dealing with the relationship among and the rights and duties of creditors and debtors. Now, when a person or a family or a business organization or a subunit of state government initiates a bankruptcy procedure, we say that they file a petition in their local bankruptcy court based on where they live or where their business or the governmental agency is headquartered. And the purpose of that filing is to ask the court to please pay, place the debtor under its protection to stop all actions of their creditors, at least temporarily. This is so the debtor, if they file a Chapter 7, 
can have access to what is known as an orderly liquidation of her non-exempt assets while keeping her exempt assets such that she can start her fresh start. Or, as the case may be in a Chapter 9, a Chapter 11, a Chapter 12, or a Chapter 13, to give the debtor time to come up with a plan of reorganization wherein she can maintain or they or it can maintain control of its assets by while paying what the bankruptcy court, or in the case of a Chapter 11, her creditors believe is a reasonable and economically feasible amount to be paid back to those same said creditors. Now, the importance of bankruptcy is that it provides a way out of an otherwise hopeless financial situation for the debtor, and it provides some semblance of fairness in the payment of the debtor's creditors. As such, bankruptcy is an essential part of our economic system, and it can transform an overburdened individual or entity or governmental unit into a productive and useful member of society or a useful and functional local governmental unit or an otherwise viable business we can help return to profitability. So when we come back, we'll continue our discussion of what you know bankruptcy 101 and how it actually can help. Please stay tuned and I'll see you on the other side. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue today's discussion on the very important topic, Bankruptcy 101. Now, making bankruptcy work in the real world requires an administrator slash coordinator who is mandated by the Department of Justice to investigate the debtor's finances and oversees the debtor's case and reports to the court her findings and recommendations about the viability of the debtor staying in bankruptcy. That means there's a reasonable likelihood that either um, the assets will be liquidated or the debtor can reorganize. Now, in the context of a Chapter 7, the bankruptcy process is coordinated by a licensed professional called a Chapter 7 bankruptcy trustee, or more simply, the Chapter 7 trustee, who works under the supervision of the bankruptcy court, which is an Article 1 court that is appended to the local Article 3 district court. Now, as a general rule, a Chapter 7 trustee uh, is uh, pre-selected and sits on a panel that's controlled, in, in quotation marks, by the Department of Justice uh, with all the other trustees in waiting. And they are hired kind of on a round-robin basis or as a case comes forth. Uh, that is to say, they are appointed by the court to oversee a Chapter 7 case on a, this round-robin basis. And they're paid either a fat, flat fee, if there are no uh, assets to liquidate, uh, or a percentage of the non-exempt assets they can recover that are either in the debtor's bankruptcy estate or from a person or organization or some other third party with a connection to or in control of the debtor's assets. Now, in the United States, many bankruptcy trustees are lawyers and some are CPAs, and there's quite a few that are both. 
in a chapter 12 or 13 context, the trustee performs many administrative functions of the debtor in possession of her assets, such as receiving from the debtor and dispersing to her creditors based on a plan that's confirmed by the bankruptcy court. And what that chapter 12 or 13 trustee gets as opposed to a flat fee or a um, percentage of the assets are liquidated because in a 13 or 12, they're not liquidated. Hopefully they get a percentage of what monies pass through the trustee's office. So in some bankruptcy law is critical to the proper functioning of businesses and individuals and families in our capitalistic market-based economy. For you see, the laws of the bankruptcy act as the safety valve that gives entrepreneurs and individuals and families the freedom to undertake the risk of starting businesses and starting family units with the knowledge that if they run into financial distress, that is the result of an honest miscalculation of a business risk or the turndown in the economy or a shift in the marketplace that causes them financial distress or when an individual or a family takes on the risk of purchasing a home or an automobile or other consumer debt or in some cases when they undertake to underwrite a formal education for themselves and their children. And as long as the taking on of these economic risks and obligation that result in financial distress were taken on with the intent to repay the debt and not to manipulate or calculate it to perpetrate fraud on their creditors, our government provides a constitutionally based legal procedure that may give the honest owner of these businesses and the honest members of these families a chance to start afresh without the burden of overwhelming debt that tends to destroy the quality of life. The bankruptcy process also gives the debtor's creditors some assurances that they will receive their fair share of the debtor's non-exempt assets, even if this fair share sometimes means that the creditors take nothing. So why is bankruptcy important? Well, in an excellent article written by a gentleman named Harley Hahn of the Harley Hahn Center for Money and Economics entitled, what is bankruptcy and why bankruptcy is important and necessary to an economy? And you can read this, this article. I'm going to share excerpts uh, from it at harley.com. And, you know, many moon ago when I first started practicing bankruptcy, I came across this article. And I'm sharing, I'm going to share it with you because it's well written and it just really gives you an overview of why bankruptcy is important, not only here in the United States, but all around the world. Mr. Hahn says, when a debt is eliminated as part of the bankruptcy process, the debt is discharged. Once the debt has been discharged, the debtor is relieved from the obligation to pay the creditors. And the creditors are prohibited by law from taking any further action to recover the debt. In this way, an, an individual can continue to live her life free from the burden of obsessive debt. 
And this is often referred to as that fresh start that everybody needs periodically in life. Similarly, a company can stay in business while reorganizing itself around more favorable, a more favorable debt structure. And a government can return to providing essential services to its citizens. The chance to discharge a debt legally is a unique and crucial part of our economic system. To understand why, we only need to consider the alternatives. That is to say, let's consider what happened to debtors who weren't able to pay their debt before bankruptcy was invented. Before bankruptcy, debtors who could not meet their obligation were subject to severe penalties. For example, in the ancient Greek city-states and in the early Roman Empire, a person who could not pay her debts, well, his debt, because at that time women were chattel and we couldn't talk, so a person who could not pay his debts would often be forced to become a slave to his creditors, and that also included his wife and children, and this was called debt bondage. A thousand years later, the treatment of debtors was still harsh. For example, in England, the first facial laws regarding insolvency were passed in the year 1542 during the reign of Henry VIII. You know the dude that off the heads of many of his wives during his reign. The laws treated insolvent debtors as criminals with penalties such as imprisonment and even death. Even in more modern times, well into the 1800s, people who were unable to pay their debts could still be imprisoned. They were sent to debtor's prison, where they would be confined, often in brutal and inhumane circumstances. As in, for example, in the 19th century England, a debtor would be accused by any of his creditors. Once this happened, the debtor would be given a short time to raise the money to pay off his debt. If the money was not forthcoming, the debtor would be imprisoned until the debt was paid. That's kind of stupid because if they're locked up, how can they raise the money? But anyway, that's the way people saw things back in the 1800s. Now, if you're a fan of novels by Charles Dickens, you may have remembered that several of his characters were sent to debtor's prison, including Mr. Pickwick in the Pickwick Papers that was published in 1836. And in fact, in 1824, Mr. Dickens, when he was 12 years old, his own father was sent to debtor's prison. In the United States, federal imprisonment uh, for unpaid debts was abolished in 1833, around the same time as most of the states. Remember now, we're a federal system, so we had two different governments going on. Okay, In England, imprisonment for debt was not abolished until 1869, after the end of the Civil War. So in the late 1860s, the attitude towards indebtedness was beginning to change generally. For a long time, it had been recognized for two important reasons. That a better system was needed to deal with debtors First, because imprisonment, you, you couldn't pay your debt and you couldn't be an active member of society and you couldn't repent. So that's why we backed away from debtor's prison and started to look for a more modern, holistic approach to dealing with debt. So 
I'm going to leave it there for now. But when we get together next week, we're going to pick up where we left off and go into a little bit more detail about what it is uh, that bankruptcy is all about and why it's such an important and vital uh, component of a holistic approach to business um, uh, and debt, borrowing, repayment. And it does have a bit of um, spirituality to it as well. So we're going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing here at Talent's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including understanding the law of bankruptcy and its positive effect on our economy. Many people are ashamed to file for bankruptcy. I think it's foolish not to at least to know about some of the good things that can come of it. But in the meantime, and inasmuch as it appears that some or all of the variants of COVID-19 will be with us for the foreseeable future, I once again ask you to get vaccinated and boosted. And don't forget your flu shots, too. And even if you have all your shots, but especially if you don't, please take the necessary precautions to protect not only yourselves and your families and the people you come into contact with, like me. So at a minimum, I know people don't like to talk about this, but please consider wearing a mask at least when you're out and about. So till next time, take care. Bye for now and happy holidays. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.